gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Hey, welcome to Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. Today I have my lovely wife with me and I wanted to do a segment called So You Want to Have a Kennel. I get contacted often by people that want to get into dog breeding and I don't dissuade them from it or tell them not to but what I do is try to explain what the reality is so I thought we'd talk to my wife who basically married into this uh, I guess tornado of a world that I live in and have her help explain things that she sees from her side so Kate welcome to the show hello It's been a while. It has been. We haven't done an episode in a while. I've been very busy and you've been uh, in and out hunting and in and out with pups and so we haven't connected. But we are now and on a pretty important topic, like you said, one you get asked about a lot. Um, One I even get questions about. Um, I also, as a lot of the listeners know, have another breed of dog in this house. Chihuahuas. Yes. Don't laugh. I gave up my man card long ago. (laughs) In my defense, I have 290 acres of prime hunting property, two different parcels, and I still owe her two more chihuahuas on top of the two that she has. I trade property for chihuahuas. I think it's a good trade. I think it's pretty smart. The listeners can weigh in. I mean, you know, what do you think? You know, a couple hundred acres of hunting land, really good hunting land for a chihuahua in your house. I don't know. I think it's a fair deal, but. We call them rats. We got <laughs> we've got the Love common rat, and then swamp rat was was because I bought a swamp. Well, I always buy swamps, but this was a particular swamp that was next to the other swamp. Yeah. So yeah, we've got credit rat, which is uh, you have Future. one on credit. Yeah, Future. so it'll be credit rat, and I don't know what the other one will be called. I'm not sure. But... I guess we'll have to wait until we get to that point. Yep. But yeah, people ask me, you know, um, if I breed the chihuahuas, if I ever would. They ask you and me when we're at sports shows. Um, clients a lot of our clients think about breeding i think it's enticing because people see obviously what we command for a purchase price on our puppies and then other people see it as possibly a way to make income while staying at home versus you know being out in the working world and having to commute and things like that and, and some other, see it as a fun thing to yeah do with their kids. And other, other people see it as something fun or um, they see puppies and they're so cute and they're so cuddly and it would be such a rewarding and enjoyable experience and I'm not saying that any of those things are untrue I'm not saying we don't get a good price for our pups right now I'm not saying that it's not something you can do at home and I'm not saying that it isn't rewarding Um, but the thing to keep in mind is that it is very time consuming smelly very Very dirty very dirty Um, it takes many many years to develop a good solid breeding program with a good reputation where you can get a purchase price where you're actually either break even or maybe sometimes you make money um, and there it's a huge commitment it's not 
in my opinion, the kind of thing that you could do to the quality and to the level that we do if you were doing it as a side job. I couldn't do it if it was me with my regular job. We need you and you're available to handle it and that's what you do 24-7 because you have all kinds of situations that come up, all kinds of emergencies that come up. Um, we had a dog, we just found out she came into heat. We just got a message tonight. So I'm going to be running to pick her up. You're going to be running to get her progesterone tested. And it's, you know, breeding is obviously very time sensitive. Um, just like with people, you have just a very limited opening uh, in terms of the window of when a female can be bred. So there's a lot of babysitting to it. And then, of course, once the pups are born, you have, you know, keeping an eye on them, making sure they're getting enough nutrition, that they're warm enough. Stuff happens constantly. So it's a huge commitment. So it's not all cute waggy tails and puppy faces and a big check in the mail from people buying them. It's, there's a lot more to it than that, you know, which you can speak to after having done it for over 20 years now. So, Yeah, I mean, when I got started, I actually did the old uh, take a piece of paper, split it down the middle, do the pluses and minuses on both sides uh, and, and look at how I wanted to set up my business and how I wanted to grow my business and what I saw that business being in the future. <clears throat> it is hard because you're trying to visualize something that you have no experience in for most people, uh, me included. I started with my first litter uh, in the garage, the attached garage in my house, and did, I believe, four litters in the attached garage. And even having them in the attached garage, how much labor that was when we didn't have a septic system because every day you had to go out, you had to clean everything thoroughly, shop back it after you bleached and pine salted and scrubbed it. And we had a litter of 12, which is great. I mean, wonderful profit margin. But 12 puppies also make a lot of poop. And our whole house reeked of puppy crap. And that was having them in the garage. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people have them in their house. It is Nasty. gross. I go out in the morning at times, and if we have four litters in... It doesn't smell good. And the beauty of our property is we've got two separate kennels, two separate septic systems for only those kennels. So it takes me not that much time to act to, to clean it up uh, to the point where it smells like bleach and pine salt. And then being home, I, I, I will make sure that I am spot cleaning the kennels most of the day so that I don't get to that point where you have a heavy amount of, of, of ick. And uh, it, it just it just really helps. But I think that's one thing that people don't look at. And then the other thing that I learned long ago, never fall in love with your own lines. You always have to have fresh blood that you are bringing into your kennel. And that means you need to have a network and a knowledge of pedigrees so that you can make good informed decisions for the growth of your kennel and for three to four generations down the line. Our first 20 years, it got to the point where I didn't look at that as much. And we got to the point where we couldn't use hardly any of our stud dogs that we had because our lines were all kept out of our own, our, our own males because we loved them so much. So we actually bought two males from down south from Mossy Pond Retrievers from Brad, uh, Brad Arrington. He has great dogs. We bought two dogs from down there. And now we have clean genetics. And I actually have a plan for the future on how I'm going to breed, keep dogs, use my, my studs, use a couple of other stud dogs that are nice dogs, and have it so that we don't get into that position in the future. So again, it's having the foresight to plan 
as opposed to just, I want a litter of yellow puppies, black puppies, or chocolate puppies. You can do that when you're just going to have one litter, but if you're going to grow a kennel, you got to look at that stuff. And I think some of the trouble with folks who just decide to so-called try one litter is, one, they're not prepared for the stuff you talked about first, which is the mess. Um, mess isn't just mess. It isn't just an inconvenience for the human beings. It isn't just a smell or this or that. It can be disease. So you obviously um, keep things as clean as humanly possible. We have no soft surfaces anywhere near the pups or the whelping area. Um, not just because it's, oh, that's gross and messy, but because we're trying to reduce or eliminate disease because that happens. Puppies can get, you know, um, parasites and things like that. So there's that. You need um, a good vet. The vet would actually yeah. help you and help Absolutely. you set up warming schedules yep. and different things that you need yep. for the care of the puppy too. Yep. So there's that. And then to your breeding stock comments, I think another common mistake people make is they'll buy a dog from us. And, you know, these are the clients who buy a quality dog and think, well, I'm going to breed it and I'm going to sell puppies. Um, okay, that's fine. But unless you have something of a marketing strategy, you're going to sell them to your family and friends. And once everyone has one who wants one, then what? So I always cringe a little bit at people who say things like that because I'm always afraid of unwanted pups. Um, and if you don't have a way of getting your name out or marketing them to beyond, you know, your mom, your dad, your brother, and your first cousin, you could end up with pups that, you know, you're not sure where you're going with them or whatever. So your um, marketing started out obviously quite small, but you worked really, really hard at it to create a platform and a name and a brand where, you know, people identify it now all over the country. You know, people know the Soggy Acres name. And that's because you really worked at it. It wasn't just like, oh, well, I once in a while ran something on Facebook and I put, you know, posters up at Gander Mountain or oh, I, I was I was the pinup board king. You did in the beginning. I, I, yeah, yeah, the pinup boards Absolutely. where I would have the pictures of the parents. I would have whatever titles they had. And then I would have a little bit more about the litter. And then I'd have the little phone number tabs that I would cut. Yeah, the tear-offs <laughs> that people would call. And I would hit like a 50-mile or fifty mile area around the house. Every Gander Mountain, every Cabela's, every tractor supply, every farm and fleet, fleet farm. I, I hit all of that and put that stuff up. And I don't even know if they have those boards anymore. But some they did do. that. Some do, some don't. And I, that, was, that was a big thing. But even at that, there were a lot of people that didn't do that. They just waited thinking, you know, if you, if you breed them, they will come. And, yeah, and they, they don't. They, they won't. They don't. Um, and fortunately for you and anyone else now, the world's a lot bigger thanks to things like the Internet and social media and everything like that. So it's definitely something to get on board with and harness. Absolutely get a website and get one that looks reputable, not like it looks like your kid hacked it together for an eighth grade project. You, you need reputable-looking marketing and marketing materials so people take you seriously. Well, and have when you start out, too, with that, when you're looking at it from a marketing standpoint, a lot of the marketing is your dog. You need to have a good pedigree. Don't fall in love with your dog and say, because my dog's intact, I'm going to breed them. One, if it's a male, you're going to have to put a master title on it if anyone else will use your dog. Because it is so easy to find people that have titled dogs that you can breed to, especially in our state of Wisconsin. So you got to look at that if you're going to have males that you're going to have to run hunt tests or put them with someone that runs hunt tests. That's a big financial commitment. The other thing is on your males and females, have nice pedigrees. Get a nice puppy with a nice pedigree. Again, it doesn't mean if you're, you have a dog that doesn't have a great pedigree that it's not a nice dog, 
but it comes down to if you could buy a puppy from someone that has a five generation pedigree where every dog has a title or from a litter where there's no title dogs, what would you do? You got to look at it that way. And then also, if you have a male that doesn't have titles, look at using a male that does have those titles because that's how you're going to market. And the last thing you need to do is make sure you're getting your health clearances, your hips, your elbows, your eyes, get them with Labrador retrievers, get them checked for EIC, CNM. Those are the things that your serious clients that are going to spend serious money will look at. And that's the difference between three to $500 per puppy. And people will look and they'll go, I just can't afford to do that. You can't afford not to do it because you're really, really going to end up giving away a lot of your purchase price by not taking those couple of steps. Mm-hmm. It makes the difference between whether you're actually serious about it or you're not. You know, if you're serious about it, these are things that you will do. And obviously the health clearances vary by breed. The health clearances address um, the genetic problems that a specific breed historically has had. And they so, all have them. Yeah, so find out what it is. Whatever that breed is that you're thinking about becoming a breeder in that particular type of dog, find out what genetic issues they historically have had and then what tests you need to do on your dog to make sure your dog is not a carrier of those things. And as far as titles, the same is true. It doesn't matter if it's a Labrador or if it is a Chihuahua. People look for certain titles, um, certain accomplishments in certain breeds. Find out what those things are. Do you have the time or perhaps the money to have someone else who has the time put those titles on your dog because without them, it's just another puppy, you know, just one in a million. And the last thing is customer service. Call people back, email people back, and it is so common. I hear so often about our kennel where we get bashed by other kennels who don't even know you. You're not marketing yourself if you're just talking poorly about other kennels. Don't do that. Talk about what you do and why your dogs and puppies are, are, are quality. And don't worry about putting down another kennel. Be positive and you're going to get a lot more clients. Mm-hmm. And call people back, like you said. When I was looking for chihuahuas, I had had chihuahuas that were rescues years and years ago. And that rescue is now defunct, so that wasn't an option. So the next thing we looked to do was buy one. I would say 8 out of 10 people never returned my phone call or my email. I would have appreciated a call, an email, a text, anything back, just even if they were to say, I don't do this anymore, you know, I'm out of the business, or I have no stock available right now, you know, we have no puppies, or we'll have no puppies till next year, just a, you know, thanks, no thanks, but no one did, it was about 8 out of 10 that didn't, and you hear that frequently from people who call you, you know, I've called 6 breeders this week and no one else called me back. It is very common. So I hope that helps you for a tip on if you want to get into having your own dog kennel. Next, we're going to talk with Kate about some wonderful tips about bringing a new puppy home and what you can do at your house with them. Stay tuned for that after this. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. Welcome back to the show. So now we're going to go to what we deal with all the time. You get your new puppy, you've got lots of questions about what do I do once I get them home. And just to preface it, we do have tons and tons of information on this on our website. Um, We have a blog on there. I haven't written for it in a while. Um, 
but all the information that's on there, which most of it is honestly dedicated to puppies and new dog owners, is really good, solid information. And pretty much none of the puppy stuff is endorsed or sponsored. It's just tried and true tips that are based off of the questions that we've been asked the most over the years. So you can definitely check that out at SoggyAcres.com. The blog is still up there. Um, don't be dissuaded just because the blog posts are dated. They're older. They're a couple years old. They're good tried and true information and a lot of what we're going to cover now. And we also do Facebook Lives. Um, I put them up here on the podcast as uh, Q&As. Uh, but at least once a week, if not twice a week, I'll do a Facebook Live event on our Sporting Dog Adventures page. And there, it's at times rapid-fire questions where I got people just winging them at me. And it, it's fun because it's a format where I don't go in and have an actual plan for the day. I just go in to answer questions. We do 15 to 30 minutes. We put them back here sometimes as a, a Q&A. But it is a fun thing to do where you can ask me questions while we're on the live event. Probably the most common questions we ask are, or get asked are about potty training. Um, we do have a blog post about that, and we are going to do a whole segment on that in a future show. So we're going to skip that one for now because that's a whole big topic in its own. And uh, we're going to cover some of the other questions that we get asked the most. Um, I would say one of the most asked questions after things on potty training are how to acclimate your household to the new dog, including any existing dogs that you have, older dogs. Um, and tips we give people on that are always make sure that the dog, the older dog that's already in the home, has a safe place, a place to go when he or she really doesn't want the new kid bothering him anymore. Either, you know, an upstairs bedroom or perhaps a downstairs bedroom or rec room or an end of the house where a junior can't get to him to bother him. Um, some place where they can kind of have some peace, some space away from um, Mr. Naughty Puppy. Yeah, it's it's you have to look at it like a human. It would be like being in school and having that annoying kid that just won't leave you alone, just keeps talking to you and talking to you and talking to you. And with this too, with puppies, it's not just the annoying kid that's talking to you. He's now biting you and scratching you, <laughs> and he won't leave you alone for like four or five hours. So when you overreact as a human with someone just talking, imagine what you do if you were that dog. Give them a safe area so that they can get away and not be tormented by the new pup. They need a break. Um, and kind of in line with that, we are huge proponents of crate training. So that's the one to two hours in the crate. Um, take them outside, take them potty. One to two hours of supervised play. Give them another potty break. And then one to two hours back in the crate. Um, that also gives any other dogs or cats in the house that time off that they need. It gives you a break so that you're not constantly supervising little Junior from chewing the woodwork and chewing the Barbie dolls and perhaps peeing in the corner when you're not looking and you know nipping at your kid's fingers or whatever the little guy is doing. It gives you a break. It gives him some quiet time. He learns that there's an expectation that we have playtime and we have quiet downtime. Um, so get a crate section it off so that it has a space in it that's only big enough for him to sit, stand, lay down, and turn around. Um, you can section off the rest of the crate with like a cooler or some other really solid surface type of thing. He doesn't need a blanket in there. He doesn't need toys or anything like that that he would chew up or, you know, destroy while he's in his crate time. And use that crate. Um, you can use the crate when people come over. You can use the crate when you need a break. You can use the crate when he needs a break. If you leave the door open, a lot of times they'll go in there when they're tired and lay down even on their own. But So let's look at treats. What do you have for puppy treats? <sighs> puppy treats. Um, the biggest thing we tell people to do is not to go out and go crazy and invest in a bunch of, you know, 
not so healthy treats, we measure out their kibble um, based on the guidelines on the bag, you know, so puppies are, when we send them home at seven weeks, they usually eat one cup morning, one cup evening of a typically higher calorie, higher fat type of food. We measure out the cups into a little container and then we treat with the kibble. And that way you know you're not overfeeding. You're not giving them garbage food, you know, like, um, you know, just yucky, low-quality treats that are just calories and no nutrition. Dog Snickers bars. Dog Snickers bars, dog potato chips, whatever you want to call them. It's garbage. You know, it's empty calories, just like as if you or I sat and pounded a bag of Doritos. So um, you know you're not giving them bad nutrition, and you also know you're not overfeeding them and, you know, giving them too many calories in the course of the day. Just use this kibble. He doesn't care. Food is food. Dogs don't care. They don't really care or know the difference between their kibble and a milk bone. And a milk bone is, you know, 25 times more calories or whatever it is than the kibble. So we don't have dog treats in our house. I'm sure some people think that's really weird that breeders don't. Um, but they're just garbage, empty calories. A lot of them are very low quality nutrition. Um, a lot of people who feed, yeah, like icky treats end up with digestive issues with their dogs, whether that's loose stool or, um, you know, stomach aches or... Um, even allergies, a lot of those so-called treats have, you know, tons of stuff in it that you don't really want to introduce into their diet. So we pretty much skip the whole so-called dog treat type thing. So now let's look at toys. That's always the question because <laughs> yes. people look at it like a puppy shower where they should get oh, a gajillion yes. toys. Yep. Not that our house does not look like a daycare sometimes, having five labs in the house and uh, having them all go raid the toy bin. What would be good toys for a puppy? It kind of, we joke, it looks like the Island of Misfit Toys. It's like toys with arms ripped off and things like that. Um, but really, there are two or three types of toys that we always do recommend to people. Probably starting with my absolute favorite are those white um, sterilized uh, bones. They're actually like a cow femur. It's a, just a white colored bone, and it's actually bone. They're hollowed out in the center. And you can get them where they're filled with a flavor or, you know, lamb flavor, peanut butter flavor, cheese flavor, whatever. Um, I'm not too worried about the caloric intake on that type of thing because they have to just lick at the inside and that can take them days or weeks. So you're really not adding much in terms of calories. Those things are indestructible. They're absolutely wonderful. They are, you know, we have the most rough dogs on toys that you can humanly imagine. Labs really are top of the food chain with being chewers and they don't destroy them. I basically throw them away when they get disgusting. You know, when they start to get discolored and nasty, that's when I throw them away. They're probably in our market somewhere in the vicinity of 6 to $9, but literally they'll last you years until you throw them away. Um, you can use even use them as traveling bones in your vehicle like I do. <laughs> you have traveling bones in the back of the truck. Yep, in the back seat, we do. Um, they're great. They are really indestructible and wonderful. So that's probably the first ones. Um, Bentley's makes them, Red Barn makes them, and I'm sure there are other brands too. Um, second on the list, which probably most people know about, are Kong toys. We do like the Kong toys. Um, we just get like the little chew-on ones and things like that. They make all kinds of different like treats you can stuff in them and things you can like spread food on. No, we, we don't do that. We do not spread peanut butter on our dog toys. We don't buy the ones where you put like the filling in them or anything like that. The puppy just is looking for something to, to chew on, particularly if he's teething. So he doesn't need any of that. Just the regular Kong, any of them will do just fine. Um, and then the last um, thing that I would recommend for toys are called fire hose toys. 
They are toys that are made out of a material that is similar to fire hose material. And the characters I've seen are like snakes, foxes, things like that. They're seamed. The fabric is really, really durable. Um, and they can really shake them and beat on them and bite on them and things like that. And they, unless you get the ones with like appendages, they are pretty darn indestructible. They're, they're wonderful stuff. So those are the three kinds of toys we mostly have in the house. We do have other kinds the little stuffy, cute, fuzzy ones with the squeakers in them, but I do not ever give those to puppies. Um, puppies rip them to pieces, they consume the stuffing, and if they try to consume the squeaker, they can get it stuck in their throats, they can choke. Um, or it can get stuck in their system where they can't throw it up and you, know, you have to have a surgery. Yeah, so we skip that. I get those for the dogs when they're older. I understand that it's going to last about an hour and they're going to rip it to pieces. I'm going to be right there in the room watching them rip it to pieces. I'm going to pick the pieces up and throw them away when we're done. But yeah, not for puppies. So the last thing as far as a tip that I would have would just be puppies are all about consistency. Learn the word no. Teach them the word no. Be consistent. Don't lose your temper and really enjoy them. Don't feel like you're being mean and that your puppy isn't going to love you. It's no different than your children. Children actually need discipline. They crave discipline. They want it. Um, they, they're looking to you for that. They will actually chew on the leg of your chair and they'll kind of look up at you out of the corner of their eye while they're doing it like, look what I'm doing. Is that okay? Tell them no. Tell them no. Give them a swat on the snoot. Give them a pinch snoot, something or other. Let them know that this is not acceptable behavior. And when they do something wonderful... Praise them and jump around and tell them how good they are. Well, that's it for this section. Next, we're going to have Kate talk about things she needed in the field when I had her on the show and took her hunting. So maybe it helps the guys out there know what they should have if they want to get their girlfriends involved with them in the field. Stay tuned for that after this. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have my lovely wife, Kate, who I decided I wanted to try to get her involved in hunting in the field. And I horrifically failed on several <laughs> levels, which she didn't know that we were failing either, but I should have known a few things. But I wanted to have her give some tips to the guys out there about things they can do to help make hunting more enjoyable for their, their better half and some things that they can get. So, Kate... Take it away. <laughs> I don't think you failed so much as my work commitments really got the better of it more than anything. Um, we might say you so-called failed kind of at the beginning because I think you thought I had better gear and a better understanding of how things worked. Okay, so maybe there at the beginning. But eventually the reason I kind of washed up more was because of work-related reasons. Um, but speaking of gear and in the beginning and when I didn't have the things I needed... Um, Chances are your wife or girlfriend uh, doesn't have good quality gear if they haven't hunted before. They wouldn't even know what they need. So this is no joke. I showed up to our first hunt and I had a corduroy barn jacket from Gander Mountain as my coat. And I had faux leather boots from Target as my boots. That's not a joke. I actually went on a hunt like that because I had no idea how cold it was, or that we'd be walking across cut cornfields. Um, no, no clue whatsoever. And she didn't complain either, so no. it wasn't like I even knew anything was wrong until like a year <laughs> later when I got told I was a jerk. <laughs> well, maybe not quite in those words, but I 
kind of mentioned that if I were to continue doing this, I was going to need better things because I absolutely froze to death in those ground blinds on that goose hunt. It was pure misery. So um, take a look at what the lady has for a coat, for socks, for boots. 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 Boots, boots to huge. me is the most important. Yeah. Boots, hat, and gloves. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm... I'm petite and I don't do well in cold at all. Uh, we hunted in Louisiana one year and it was like, I don't know, 60 in the morning. And I was No, cold. that's that's when we knew it wasn't going to work. It was, was actually, cold. It, it was actually, to be truth be told, it was 73 degrees and she was complaining was she was cold. So at that point, I'm like, all right, this hunting stuff's not going to work because I, I, I can't have enough clothes for her <laughs> if she's cold at 73 with... A basically midweight coat on. Yeah, I was cold. So yeah, between always being cold and work and things, it was, you know, not something I was going to make a full time commitment to. So I mean, yeah, that is something you have to kind of weigh out. You might invest in some gear, and it still might not work out. But I can guarantee you, or nearly guarantee you, if you don't invest in the gear, it will never work out because this this person is going to be absolutely miserable, and they may suffer in silence for a little while. I guess like I did. But they're not going to suffer in silence season after season, year after year. So, yeah, good coat, good boots, good gloves, um, something for on your head. Uh, start there. And then um, beyond that, just make sure you explain things. Um, this is what time we're going to be getting up. And these are the things you're going to need to have ready. And these are the things that you're not going to be able to do while we're in the field. One of the things I struggled with terribly is I drink a ton of water in a given day. I drink two to four liters of water every day. I just, I do. I, I have to. I'm really uncomfortable if I don't. Well, when you are in a deer blind and you are there the entire day, I have to watch how much I drink or I'm going to have to use the bathroom. That's fine if you're a guy. It's a lot easier if you're a lady. That's, it's fine if you don't have a camera guy along, too. That really makes a big difference, too. If you have a camera guy along, that's really awkward if you're a lady. So make sure that if your wife or girlfriend plans on coming along on a certain kind of hunt, they understand what it all entails. How long are we going to be out there? What time are we going to get up? What time are we going to come back in? Um, are we going to have something to eat while we're out there or something to drink while we're out there? What if I have to use the bathroom? What if I get cold? What if I get hot? Um, all the things that seem very common sense to somebody who has been hunting a long time are not common sense at all to somebody who has never been. And this would be my last tip for you guys. Talk to your woman. And if you can get it like I have where I told my wife there's 100 acres for sale and we already had 190 acres. That was plenty of land. And she looked me square in the eyes and said, you should go look at it. And I said, yeah, right. She's like, no, you never have too much hunting land. <laughs> if you can find that, marry her. That's all I'm <laughs> going to tell you. You found true love at that point. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Stay tuned for the next one upcoming soon. God bless. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here.